Welcome to the WP Builds Podcast, bringing you the latest news from the WordPress community. Now, welcome your hosts, David Wormsley and Nathan Wrigley. Hello there and welcome once again to the WP Builds Podcast. You've reached episode number 338, entitled Calvin Alken on the State of WordPress Security Plugins, Security Miniseries 1 of 4. It was published on Thursday, the 17th of August, 2023. My name's Nathan Wrigley and a few bits of housekeeping just before we begin. If you are into what WP Builds do, head to our subscribe page and sign up for our newsletter there, wpbuilds.com forward slash subscribe. We'll email you twice a week. Also to say that if you fancy making a comment, I'd really appreciate it if you felt like going to the wpbuilds.com website, finding the particular episode and making the comment there. So for example, if you get something out of today's episode, this is 338, episode 338, head to the website, find the post and make a comment there. Often I think we tend to do things on social media more these days. It's quite nice to have one of the things that WordPress is good at being used. So yeah, that would be a real plea from me. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, please head over to your platform of choice, share it over there, perhaps even give us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice, something like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. That would be really, really lovely. The WP Builds podcast is brought to you today by GoDaddy Pro. GoDaddy Pro, the home of managed WordPress hosting that includes free domain, SSL, and 24-7 support. Bundle that with The Hub by GoDaddy Pro to unlock more free benefits to manage multiple sites in one place. Invoice clients and get 30% off new purchases. You can find out more by heading to go.me forward slash WP builds. Once more, go.me forward slash WP builds and true sincere thanks to GoDaddy Pro for their ongoing continued support of the WP builds podcast. Right. What have we got for you today? Well, this is something a little bit interesting and a little bit different, and I'm going to put a few caveats in before I begin the podcast properly. Today, we have Calvin Alken. He's from a security company called Sneeko. And as you'll hear in the podcast, there's been a few bits and pieces going on in the WordPress security space recently. Notably, some of the research that Calvin has done has revealed possible problems with a variety of different security implementations, different plugins, different services, and so on. And so on the podcast today, he states his piece. Now, in the whole social media kerfuffle that blew up around this, there was lots of people posting in different directions, having different opinions. It got a little bit heated. And so what I decided to do was put together a mini podcast series, and this is the first of four episodes. I'm interviewing Calvin Olcott from Sneeko, Akshat Chowdhury from Malcare, Dan Knaus from iThemes, which is now Solid WP, and Thomas J. Reef from We Watch Your Website. I'm recording all of those because I think it'd be really interesting to have an equanimous look at this, to look at it from both sides, to let people have their opinions, to let the product owners say what they think in defense of what Calvin is saying today. And so I did something a little bit strange. I told all four of those people that I would record all four episodes before I released any one of them. The idea being that they wouldn't be able to have 
an opportunity to listen to what somebody said and then create their podcast episode with a little bit of expert knowledge from having listened to a different episode. So that's what we did. So this is the first of those four. You're going to hear a lot about Calvin's position on WordPress security, why he thinks that certain implementations are broken and what you can do about that. Over the weeks to come, we will hear from the other three participants in this little mini series, and they're going to be put out in a completely random order, but they have already been recorded and stored away. So you're going to hear all sorts about security today, and I hope that you enjoy it. I am joined on the podcast today by Calvin Alken. Hello, Calvin. Hi, nice. How are you? Yeah, really good. Nice to connect with you. We're going to talk a lot today about security. There's a lot of relevant time-based stuff that's going to be in this episode, but also broadly, we're just going to talk about website security in general. So probably, given that this is a very technical subject, two things to say. Firstly, I will be out of my depth, and so I'm relying on Calvin to to help me through it. I'm imagining the case for many of the listeners will be the same. We might get into the weeds, and if I feel confused, I will ask you to help me out. But the other thing to say is, given that this is a technical subject, it would be important to know that you know what you're talking about. So, Calvin, can you just give us a little bit of a backstory of your life? How come that you've ended up on a WordPress podcast talking about security? Who do you work for? What's your background in technology and security in general? Sure. Um, I'm the founder of the company called Snico. We are a security company from Germany. Um, we publish in-depth research in security in the WordPress space, and we have a security product called Fortress that we sell to primarily WordPress hosting companies. Our background is we started out like many actually, like um, doing client development like three or four years ago. And um, we gradually more and more, um, how do you say, like develop into a product company, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. did, you, um, did you intend to go in that direction? You mentioned that you're selling primarily to hosting companies. Obviously, the majority of people listening to this podcast won't be working for a hosting company. So we'll be familiar with a range of products adjacent to WordPress, related to WordPress. They might be plugins or some SaaS-based product or something like that. Do you know if that's a, is that an industry which is, which is fairly normal selling directly to hosting companies or are you a bit of a pioneer in that space? No, I'm, I'm, we're not a pioneer at all in that space. Um, there are, of course, um, hosting companies use like a wide uh, array of software. Um, but the first one to really sell WordPress-specific software was probably Till from Object Cache Pro. So um, this is now um, uh, the WordPress caching plugin that many, many hosting companies are integrating now with service side to provide like better um, performance for all of their customer sites, basically. So now we are we're not innovative in that way. Huh. But there are still very, very few products in the WordPress space that are sold primarily to hosting companies yeah, it's instead of through the end users. Yeah, it's interesting because the, the marketing endeavors of, of most of those companies are probably not pointing their adverts directly at somebody like me. So yeah. I'm not really receiving the information about those kind of things. Obviously, if you're the CEO of a, of a hosting company, I imagine you're going to be hearing from people like you much Correct. more. So yeah, that's really interesting. So, okay, firstly, we've discovered that there's a whole range of um, security products which are pointing themselves directly at hosting companies that's one takeaway 
Everybody listening to this podcast presumably has some relationship with WordPress. They're either building sites or they're working for an agency. Maybe they're doing marketing, but WordPress is the is the focal point. And we all have a basic understanding that WordPress websites and indeed any website, any property on the internet needs to be secure. This is shifting sand. It feels to me like the conversation that we would have had six months ago is probably not the conversation that we would need to have today. And the conversation that we would have today will not be the conversation that we'd have in a year's time, because it's a constantly moving thing. The jigsaw pieces are just different every time you look at the board. So where are we at at this moment? We're recording this towards the end of July in 2023. Let's talk about the state of WordPress security. I know that's a bit of a bland question, but just run us through um, some of the, the main things. And what I'll do is I will link to a blog post, which is was actually published in 2022, but I think it's still relevant. Um, it's called The State of WordPress Security in 2022. You'll find it in the show notes. It's on the sneeko.io website. Just run us through what you were thinking there. Correct. This is, um, yeah, as you said, it was um, it was actually published in April. 2023, or I think so, it was published in 2023, but the research um, that the article is based on was collected at the end of um, 2022. So what we did there is we analyzed a lot of WordPress security plugins or plugins in the WordPress security space or adjacent to the security space and um, focused basically on one aspect of security. We focused mainly on two-factor authentication. And we found that many, many, many plugins, like from the most popular ones, like the all the way to the top 50, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. They all had a very, very poor implementation of two-factor authentication that in many cases, given some preconditions that we'll talk about later, I guess, um, even allowed taking over the entire site through that same two-factor authentication functionality. So we contact all of these vendors and um, responsibly disclosed our findings with them and help them fix their vulnerabilities. And um, this article there basically highlights our experience or our findings in the interactions we had with the, with the vendors, which in some cases were really, really pleasant, but the majority was, was not great at all. So people taking way too long to fix vulnerabilities, um, hiding it from their change logs, not mentioning it to their users that they have to take certain actions. So it was not, um, it was not a good look, if that makes sense in, in, in general. So the, I guess the security companies or security products in WordPress, in my opinion, they have to be upheld to the highest standard. Yeah. So if, if security companies are not handling these things correctly, like how can we expect, um, normal, let's say normal in, normal plugin companies to do things better if even if the security companies don't handle these things correctly. So, um, yeah, you can, you can read the, the, the article. It's, it's very in depth, like all the vulnerabilities that are published on our website, they have all been responsibly disclosed, which is why there's like the huge delay between time of publication and, um, when the data or all of that basically went down. So it was like half a year or so that we gave people then, um, time to update basically because many companies as i said they didn't like correctly disclose these types of things can i ask you some some sort of technical details about two-factor authentication i, I think most sure. people will have an understanding that two-factor authentication is basically adding a further layer 
usually something that you have, not necessarily something that you know. So it might be a sort of time-based code. I think a lot of us will be familiar with something like that. So you go to a website, you are asked to log in, you type in your username and password, but then rather than being logged in, at that point, something else is is required. I think the most common implementation would be something like an authenticator app on your phone and you, you have to type in a six-digit code or something like that, which is time-based and goes out every 30 seconds and you know, and all of that. But what really is going on there? Um, in other words, what, it, what have the platforms done? Let's say that I'm the owner of a plugin which offers two-factor authentication. What am I really doing? What's the layer that I'm adding or what's the layer that I'm sub, sub, subverting in the login process? And how is it that you can exploit vulnerabilities in 2FA to, let's say, gain admin access, which is probably the worst kind of access you could imagine. Correct. So if, if you explain that correctly, after you log in, you're typically um, presented with a new, um, either an entirely new page or a new form where you basically input your two-factor authentication code, correct? Yeah. So what happens after the, the vulnerable point in all of this is after you log in, you somehow temporarily have Calvin, you have gone. Does that make sense? No, you're going to have to repeat that because okay, you just sure. totally disappeared. Oh, okay. Uh, that's okay. So, no, no, you're, you've got like, I think we're better off just going back to the, hang on, let me just write this down. Died. <laughs> um, so I asked the question, you began by saying something like, yes, you've explained that correctly, but then you just went. Uh, oh, so okay. let's just begin that again. So uh, you explained it correctly. After you log in, you're typically presented with a new page or a new form, at least, on the in the UI. So what happens, the critical point and the most vulnerable point in this two-factor authentication scheme is that after you log in, you basically need to store somewhere which person just tried to log in so that you can then, after the two-factor authentication is successful, log in the correct person. So you need to somewhere persist that information. And if that is not handled securely, um, in many cases, you could leverage that mechanism to trick plugins into logging in different users or even not having to provide the first factor authentication um, at all. So this is like the most vulnerable point. And every plugin basically has this point. It's, it's not that they're all vulnerable, but at some point, everybody needs to persist which user just tried to log in to then, uh, in the next request, after they complete the two-factor authentication, then lock in the correct user. Okay, so can, I just, can I just ask a, a question there? So that, that process, if you want to have 2FA, you cannot not have that step. You have to have some mechanism of storing temporarily for a, presumably a very short amount of time. Who has just tried to log in? There is no way of achieving 2FA without that process taking place, right? There is, but it comes with um, some UX complications. Okay, For okay. example, um, you could do it in a way where you submit the login request and the 2FA code in the same um, request, if you will. So instead of just logging with your username and password, also provide the the six-digit code like all in one go. Oh, it's all, all validated in, in one go. Okay. So some people, it's possible, but it's not common. It's, it's not, basically, nobody has done that. Is that simply because... 
the UX is typically more straightforward from a, from a user logging in. The you want to be done with the username and password step, and then you want to move on to the two FA step. So the two things are separated just so that you've got some understanding. Okay, we got your username and password. That bit's done. We're now on the 2FA bit. Whereas if you had all those three fields, username, password, 2FA field, all on the one page, I guess you'd have to enter them all again if it failed. That's correct. Okay. And it's also some compatibility issue. For example, if you imagine in WordPress, there are probably a million different ways people are building login pages, custom, right. the default one, page builder based, they're using their form plugin. And um, of course, um, 2FA is uh, not really useful if it's only applied to some login forms. Yeah. So it's very hard to make it um, compatible with many login forms if you try to um, basically enforce that all in one request, as I mentioned, because you can't really control the UI of other plugins, if right. that makes sense. Right. Okay. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, I interrupted. Keep going. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is like the the... The vulnerable point in, in, in pretty much every two-factor um, implementation that we looked at. And all of them in some way were vulnerable to some sort of vulnerability. So now we, we have to mention it. Um, many of these to be exploitable required a precondition to be present on that site. And this is where like we spot like a big controversy basically in the WordPress security space is because many of these vulnerabilities to be exploitable um, required that your site or that an attacker is able to read um, from the database in some way or form, which is because all of these plugins were storing your two-factor secrets. So the way that it works, a really simple explanation, um, your, your two-factor application, so your Google Authenticator and your WordPress site typically share um, a secret. Yeah, they, they both have the same um, secret that they share. And then that way, they're both able to generate for a given timestamp. They're both able to generate the same six digits. Right. If you don't have the same secret, the, the six digits will never match. So this is highly sensitive data. And what most or basically everybody was doing is storing these secrets as plain text in the, in the WordPress database. So if an attacker can read this, an attacker can always generate the valid six-digit keys for for any given user, basically. Oh, okay, right. Okay, so I'm learning some new things here. This is really interesting. So the 2FA plugin, in order to be able to, if you like, let's just say the word handshake with Correct. your 2FA app, there needs to be some shared secret so that the, there can be a match made. Okay, the website has the shared secret, the app, that you're getting the six-digit code from on your phone, that has the shared secret. And so when the code is typed in, there's a comparison made between those two shared things. And if there's a match, we're good to go. And if there isn't a match, something has gone wrong. But if I've, if I've understood correctly, what you're saying is that in, in the cases that you found, that shared secret was in plain text, i.e. not in any way uh, hashed or encrypted, just... What it is, is what it is. You could copy and paste that from the database anywhere you like. Correct. And that's the problem. And that doesn't change. So the, the fact that your six-digit code is changing every 30 seconds doesn't mean that there's anything changing in the database because that's just a code, uh, some plain text, which is the same today as it will be tomorrow, as it will be 
five years until you change it correct (laughs) got it okay so therein lies the problem right this this is the main problem correct right then the the controversy is yes you can't exploit it if somebody cannot read from your database but then it's you have to consider the the unique circumstances of of wordpress yeah many many wordpress sites have vulnerabilities in fact it's not like a matter of if it's a matter of when your WordPress site has a vulnerability at some point. Yeah. So I have like some um, stats here, for example. The, way, the, the most um, common way you could exploit it is through an SQL injection vulnerability. Okay. What that allows you is basically to, because um, either your WordPress core or a plugin or a theme of yours has a vulnerability that um, allows an attacker to basically read arbitrary data from your database. Note, they are not able to change anything. That is a much higher severity issue. They're only able to read data. Yeah. Which is, for example, one of the reasons you hash passwords. Right. If somebody can read all your passwords. You don't want them to be um, in plain text. And WordPress core obviously stores password hash. It would be, an, there would be an outcry if they didn't. That makes sense. But reading so, is enough in this case, right? Reading is complete, is enough. You don't right. have to be able to write anything. So, um, in the last year, WordPress core on its own had four SQL injection vulnerabilities in WordPress core, not okay. even counting plugins. Yeah. So if you had any of these plugins installed in the last year and, um, well, obviously WordPress core as well, you would in theory have been vulnerable. So we're not saying that this has been exploited. We were probably the first um, to find it, but you can never be sure, can you? Um, and then just go into the, in whatever patch text database, the database WP scan, the database of WordFence, and just count how many of these are, um, how many of these SQL injection vulnerabilities are added on an almost daily basis. So almost every single day, there's like an SQL injection vulnerability in some plugin with huge install numbers as well. So it's not a matter of if this is possible, it's a matter of when is it possible to exploit this? And all the, the plugin vendors basically told us, yeah, but you know, we, this is not really a vulnerability because you can't exploit it in, in, on its own. And we're, yes, this is true, but you can't really, like, you're not developing in a vacuum, are you? You're developing for a WordPress site that probably has like 25 other plugins installed. So it's not, um, it, it is wrong and it's very harmful to, to view it that way, if that makes sense. Yeah, c- c- right. I'm, I'm just going to rewind and and just explain where I'm at so far, um, sure. and if I've understood correctly. So you discovered that two FAs were being stored in plain text. You further dis- so that then led you to go to some of these security vendors and say, "Look, you've got you've got a problem here." Yes, we understand that it would require another vulnerability, some SQL injection, or maybe there's other scenarios that you can describe as well. But but for now, let's leave it there. If there's an SQL injection, it basically you, you can make a stack here. You get the SQL injection, you start reading the database, you discover that plain text key, and then you're off to the races and all sorts of other damage is done. So you went to the vendors and they said, this is the way it's done elsewhere. It, it's not for us to, to think too much about the fact that, well, other plugins could be vulnerable. That's not really where we need to be. Uh, focusing our concerns. I'm sure that's probably oversimplifying it, but is that broadly what you were saying? That is 
um, a very accurate description. Okay. Yes. okay, great. Okay, well, I'm up to speed. I'm still with you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we like ultimately every single one of these vendors fixed it. So to every single vendor, we sent them like our proposed patch. So look, this is how you should be fixing this. And ultimately, every single one of them in some way or form implemented our proposed patches. And like we, it's the stats are in the blog post. I, I don't recall exactly, but if you add all of these up, it was like 16 million installs across wow. all of these plugins. So wow. it was literally from the most popular ones down to like more niche 2FA plugins, but they all in some way did this. And then like rather soon or later, um, implemented our proposed patches. So this is also why it took so long to publish this research basically, because obviously like we responsibly disclosed all of these things. We didn't like want to drop it. Um, without people having received patches, if that makes sense. Can we can we just talk about a couple of things? So the first thing, could you explain to people listening what is responsible disclosure? Just outline oh, what that course. means and what the window is typically. Uh, responsible disclosure is um, when you as a security researcher find a vulnerability, you don't go um, and publicly post about it yeah, because attackers will start using it. So you go either through, through a pl platform platform like PatchStack or WPScan, um, which will handle the uh, disclosure or coordination with the vendor for you. But you can also just directly contact the vendor and um, help them figure things out, help them fix it. Not necessarily. It's also okay um, to just send them what you found um, and they will fix it. And once you, once the vendor fixed it, then you can publicly talk about or publish your research or whatever. Got it. Not until they um, fixed it. So the typical window is like, um, I think it depends on whether the vendor responds or not, but I think um, patch tech, I, I might be wrong, but patch tech I think is doing 14 days. If you acknowledge it within 40 days, you have like another 30 or so to fix it. Like this is typically like some variation of this, but we gave them like, huge amount of time, basically it's half a year, basically. Yeah. Okay. So, so responsible disclosure is, is the process of just going to the vendor directly and not trying to sell it on the black market somewhere. Yeah. Or just, you know, exploit it yourself um, is to just give the vendor a window of opportunity in which time they can hopefully fix it. Okay, that then leads me to the next question, which is what can you describe what the fix was? How did how did you turn a plain text um, string of, well, let's say it's numbers and letters and characters and what have you? What was the What was the fix? What was you I mean? You don't need to go well, too technical. But was it just hashing that or? Yeah, you. In, in this particular case, you, you can't um, hash the secret because hashing is not reversible. Okay, thank you. And um, for the two-factor vali um, validation to work, you need access to the, you need access, um, to the plain text secret. You don't want to store it as plain text. So hashing is not an option here. What you have to do is encryption. Encryption is reversible. So it is, it is a pretty easy fix, which is why it's surprising that like vendors were so reluctant to implement it because it, it's really not that complicated. It's maybe like 50 lines of code or 20 lines of code overall. Like you could reasonably, if you want, if you include like, um, automatic upgrade, uh, migration for the users, like you could be doing that maybe in two days, a week, maybe maximum. It, it's not really that complicated. So you just, instead of storing the, the secret as plain text, you store the secret encrypted in the database. Right. And then you store the, the encryption key used to encrypt the secret. You store that elsewhere. 
securely, for example, in the WP config file, there are better options, but um, to achieve browser compatibility, storing it in the WP config file is, is the best option. Um, it's not ideal, but we don't have to go into that. The important thing is, which of course also many vendors then failed to implement this, what they did, they encrypted it, yes, but then they also stored the encryption key in the database, which is... Okay. Correct. So, which you can right. also then as an attacker read and then you can decrypt it locally, which, which I mean, these are things which, which makes you wonder, you should know these things in a security company. Like if you encrypt something, if you store the encryption key right next to um, the encrypted data, like there's no point really. It's like, for example, imagine you have a vault, yeah? And the vault has like a lock combination. <laughs> yeah. That is like the front. <laughs> correct. That is like putting your your uh, whatever your gold bars into the vault and then having the, a sticky note with the combination like right on top of the vault. This is basically what many vendors um, implemented. Then as their post patch, and then we had like a follow up. Like, look, this is still not fixed. You have to do it. It was like a very tedious process. And as you mentioned previously, there was like a lot of finger pointing going on. Like, yeah, hey, but nobody else does it. And then we had to explain. Yeah, look. Everybody else has the same vulnerability. Everybody else is in the process of fixing it. It's, it, it was not a very good experience. It, it's really interesting. I got a, I got a letter through the post, the, the physical post the other day, and it was to log on to some aspect of the council that, that I, you know, where I need to pay my tax and things like that. And it just, I was hit really hard in the face by this letter because not only did it contain my username, which was just a garbled string of nonsense, but it also, underneath it, contained the password, which is also a garble string of nonsense. And I just thought, well, that's great, isn't it? If the uh, if the postman decided to open my letter, that's the end of that. So there's a there's a real world example of how how silly that can be. But also, my understanding is that uh, if if you, for example, were to attend some of these hacker festivals like Pwn to Own and things like that, isn't it isn't it common practice? not to just be doing trying to attack through one vector isn't isn't the endeavor at those things to be able to 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 layer things on top of each other so you're exploiting some vulnerability in chrome which then leads you to another vulnerability in some other part which then Correct. finally allows you to get into the root of the iPhone or whatever it may be. In other words, it's fairly typical in the security space to have these layered attacks where you you gain a little bit of a foothold by doing one thing and then you penetrate a bit more and go a bit deeper. And in some cases, you, you've got many, many layers to this cake before you finally get to to do what it is that you want to do. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, but unfortunately, like this belief or this knowledge apparently is not widespread and in the WordPress security ecosystem. So if somebody can read from your database, yes, that is a vulnerability. Yes, it's not good. Like all your maybe sensitive data. Well, if you have sensitive data, you should have encrypted it in the first place, but all of your database can be, is leaked now, but I should never allow you or allow an attacker to leverage that into compromising your entire site. It's like, um, you're giving up at the first, um, resistance, if that makes sense, from a security standpoint. Mm. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? Yes, so, yeah, I see what you mean. You sort read, of get read, given up. It's uh, That's read, not read, our fault. Right. Read, yeah, okay. Like at the, at, at the first point where it becomes complicated, it's like, yeah, hey, this is like you already have a vulnerability. This is not really our problem anymore. And uh, this is like a, a very, very like harmful way to think if you're a security company. 
Because if you do it as a security company, like what can we expect from product companies that are not even security companies, if that makes sense? Yeah, yeah. So you should never be able to leverage um, being able to read from the database into hijacking this entire site or server. It should never happen. Yeah. So, okay, I've got a couple of things to say here. The first one is that because this created such a storm um, around the WordPress space, I mean, if, if you don't know anything about the storm that was created, there was a storm. Um, lots of people were, you know, getting into social media and explaining their point of view and why they, you know, why they had this side or that side and what have you. And that prompted me to 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 call people like Calvin onto the show. But also I've got a couple of others lined up and those other ones that are lined up will perhaps have a, a different point of view. And so for the first time ever, I've got this little kind of mini series of podcasts and I'm going to isolate them from each other so that nobody knows what anybody <laughs> else has said just to keep things fair. So there's that. If we get into something in this episode, which which you think, well, uh, well, hang on a minute, where's their voice in this? Well, that's coming, hopefully. Um, hopefully at some point they'll get to say their piece. So trying to maintain fairness, trying to maintain some sort of um, equanimity in all of this, but but okay. So you went to some of these vendors, and as far as you could tell, they basically did didn't do anything. They just said it's not our problem. And then when they did do things, it was probably not sufficient. I um, mean, yeah, it's 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 a combination of of like it's it's it started from um, ha us having to send um, very sensitive vulnerability details so their support chat yeah because oh. we asked them to like and we have like all the stats they are in the article i don't recall like exactly but um out of all the companies that we contacted i think one had like um a public encryption key that we could use to actually encrypt the, the vulnerability report before sending it to them yeah? because you don't want maybe on right support staff to be able to read these vulnerabilities and it's like using third-party software third-party chat software like who knows where that data is stored? Who knows who's able to read that? Like these are basic, basic principles that should be like a given, not even for security companies, for any product company. Yeah. But it's like from top down, it was like horrible, basically. So, and then like we basically refused to send these things explicitly through their support stuff. We asked them for, hey, guys, this is sensitive data. Do you have maybe a security email or maybe like how can we reach out to your lead developer or whatever it is? Yeah. And no, like we were forced to like send vulnerabilities to third party chat software, basically. And then sometimes uh, we got like a fast response. And actually, if you click through the blog article, like all of these things are published there. Like for each vendor, we have like the exact timeline, how it all played out. We highlighted when they did stuff great. We highlighted stuff that we didn't like, but it's all very neutral, like all basically explaining how it happened. Right, then many vendors took like weeks to even come back to us. That this is like this should have been fixed in days, but we first received a reply from them in weeks. And then the first interactions were usually like some form of um denying that this is even an issue and then us having to convince them that hey yeah, everybody else is doing it also, but that doesn't mean that it's right, yeah. The, if that makes sense. And uh, yeah, it it was a uh, it was a very unpleasant experience. And then after people ultimately fixed it um, in some way or form, so the way that we recommended that we actually validated most of the patches as well, 
um, then they basically hid it from the change logs. So they didn't, and this is really important. Like once you release a security update, you have to have that clear that security update because otherwise you're only giving attackers an advantage over your legitimate users because hackers are actively monitoring what happens on the WordPress.org repository. They're actively checking um, change logs, checking diffs of the updates and whatever. If you don't have it clear in your change logs or even better, send out an email to your users, tell them what to do, like, hey, update this ASAP. You have to do X, Y, and Z steps. Maybe reset your password. Yeah, maybe set up your 2FA credentials again for sensitive admin accounts because we don't know if it has been compromised. It might, probably not, but who knows, yeah? So it was like on every layer, basically. It, it was very... A very bad look. And, it, uh, it kind of interesting. By pure coincidence, I got an email today from a WordPress plugin vendor who, uh, we won't go into names, but they, they have fallen foul of a, a vulnerability in another piece of infrastructure. It's not a plugin as such. But I, I got this email today, and it, it, it literally said exactly what you've just said. It, it was all about, okay, this is what we've done. It's mended, but now here's a bunch of things that we recommend that you do. Yes. Uh, in order to to get back up and running, so it said, um, you know, here's here's how to get into your dashboard. Check that this is the number of the plugin that you've got installed. If not, install install it immediately, and then right. you might want to think about resetting certain things and so on and so forth. So that that was that was interesting, and by pure coincidence, that dropped in my email inbox. And, and yeah. I'm more or less no, certain right. it's got nothing to do with the subject at hand. But it's no, I don't think so. This is yeah. like months back. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, and and then even after that, after public, like some vendors like tried to publicly like discredit us in a way that this is a mean. So this was a literal quote. This is a, a mean attack. So like we sent like really really like elaborate like um, text on what the vulnerability is, how it can be exploited, how it can be fixed. We even for free helped the vendors to fix it and validate their patches. But in their eyes, it was for some of them. You also have to be fair, there were some companies that were really pleasant to work with and they fixed it really fast, uh, but they are like a huge minority, if that makes sense. And uh, some vendors even uh, went as far as saying like, this is a mean attack from our part or implying like malicious motives from our end. Yeah. And so this is, um, it, it's not good. And the main argument is like, hey, why do these vulnerabilities, they, these are not actually vulnerabilities because they don't have like a, a CVE, if that makes sense. Okay, so we're going to need to explain what that is. Yeah, um, so what's when, a CVE? Yeah, when you have like um, companies like PatchTech or WPScan, they always provide in their database like the ten out of ten rating. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar yeah, yeah, with that. Yeah. yeah. So this is the CVE score. The point is, the CVE score by design does not allow anything that has a precondition, no matter how common the precondition is. So the fact that our call it um, security neglects if you want. We can't report them through the CVE system because they require some precondition, being in this case the SQL injection or anything else. So you can't assign a CVE. That doesn't make it any bit better though. And this is like a, a, a flaw in, in, in the system a bit because in WordPress you're not developing in a vacuum. So it is very like, yes, in Siri, if you install WordPress core in your plugin, it might not be exploitable. But if you install WordPress core, your plugin, and then 25 other plugins that, probably, that might never get updates by the, by the end user, yes, this is a real probability. 
and um, the, this has been our issue. So, I'm yeah, actually, that, that is a curious um, that is a curious loophole, isn't it? In yeah. the in the CVE scoring, yes. That if it requires another vulnerability to leverage it, it can't have its own unique identifier, if you like. Okay, that's fascinating. Correct. Okay, but this a great thing that has been happening now is that um, we we work a lot with patch deck. We communicate a lot with them, and um, they are now considering, um, based on our research, to add like uh, the name is not like fixed, but it's something like a community advisory database where these things then can actually be published, even though they are not like assignable with CVE, that that people can actually know these things and that it shows up in the uh, reports and in their API calls and whatever. So this is like a development that I'm really happy about because. It will actually make it possible to properly report these things so that the end users of these products will also know about it. So this is like a very recent, it's not public yet or anything, but it's something I'm really happy about that, that this is now happening or being speaked about. Yeah, so uh, Patchstack and a, very, and a variety of other uh, vendors in the WordPress space, that they are given the right because of their heritage and their uh, diligence over many, many years doing this kind of work, they have earned the right to assign these CVE scores. Correct. But they must abide by the rules. Correct. And so what they're then doing is they're creating their own kind of subset of, well, not the rules because they, they're obviously outside of that slightly, but they've got a new tag, if you like. There's a new thing yeah. that we can say, okay, this is a thing. It's not it's not the CVE thing, but it's still a thing. Call it uh there's no like sort concrete thoughts about naming it, but call it I don't know security neglect or whatever. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. Oh, that is interesting. That's a that's a positive. We've got something positive. <laughs> yeah, this is this is something I'm I'm very happy about. I think we we pretty much covered the state of the WordPress security research that we published. Yeah. Well, that's lovely. I mean, that was a really that was really helpful. I'm I'm sure that everybody listening to that will have got a real solid understanding. We're going to carry on talking about WordPress though because. Um, there's so many people using WordPress, 42, 43% of the, the websites and all of that, all of those big statistics, lots and lots of websites. Um, but obviously, a lot of us are not really qualified to do the security thing. And a lot of us are probably tasked with doing the website. So we've got to make the buying decisions and we're the ones getting the plugins. And so that's kind of strange, you know, at the enterprise level, presumably, you're hiring people to do all of this, and you've got a great expectation that they've got deep understanding of how their how their internal security works and the layers of it and all of this. But on the WordPress side, it's there's more freelancers, there's more people who are just building their own mom and pop store and all of that. So let's get into that. The fact that non-technical users have got to make decisions about security and the problems that that causes. Yes, this is this is in our opinion like huge problem in WordPress that non-technical users um, are buying security products as if it were just any other product. End users can't really judge if it's actually secure. So if you buy, let's say, your forms plugin as an end user, yeah, you can use it, you can see if you like the UI, the form submits, you get your data entries, your email notifications work, yeah. You can judge, you can't judge if it's secure. But you can judge that it, it is working correctly as it, it functions. Yeah. It functions. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the yeah. word I'm for. It functions. With security products, yes, they might function. So your two FA codes are working. You get your email notifications. Your password is locking is working. Yes. But you have no way of assessing or knowing if these underlying protocols are actually being implemented securely. You, you don't know. There's like a very, very few percentage of 
um, of people in WordPress that can actually assess these things. It's it's very it's, it's a huge problem because then people like they are they feel secure, so they feel like they're already doing something, when in fact they're not. So they're they have security products, but they're not being made more secure by using them. If that makes sense. So this is a huge problem. And one like uh, recent example I I saw we we should get to was like this huge um, huge um, Malker controversy that we that we published. So where um, we reported the vulnerability with um, Malker, and maybe you want to recap. Malker is like um, they have like Malker, um, WP Remote, um, Block Vault. It's all basically the same thing under the same company, just with a different name. In all of these products, we disclosed the vulnerability with Malker. Um, and it wasn't fixed for, for 90 days. And then after that, we publicly published it. And it was like, uh, it was like recently, like maybe one or two weeks ago from the point where we're recording now. Um, and it, it was not a very good look because to explain what happened, like um, in simple terms, Malcare or all of their, like when I say Malcare, like think of all of their products, they're basically the same thing. So Malcare has like a local plugin. And then they have a remote application that talks to your local plugin on your local WordPress site. Obviously, this communication in some way has to be secured. So nobody can impersonate Malcare. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And for that, you all you typically use API keys or API tokens. And what happened in this case, again, was in the same way with the 2FA stuff, is this API token was stored in plain text in the WordPress database. So if anybody can read this token, that's all they need to completely impersonate more care from the perspective of your WordPress site. And it gives them the capability to, to do anything that Malker can, which unfortunately are a lot of, lot of very sensitive things like adding new users, uh, uploading plugins, installing um, arbitrary files from anywhere on the internet. So if that um, secure communication is broken and um, somebody can impersonate more, uh, more, um, Malker, like your site is completely hacked. Yeah. And it can, um, this is basically the vulnerability. Like we don't have to go into the, all the technical details. We have that published on our site and we will link to it in the show notes, I guess. Yeah. Yep. But mm, this is how it went down. Again, this is another example of you can't exploit it by default. We um, had like a qualified intro directly to Morker um, CEO and we disclosed this as always in extreme detail. We even sent them like a full running proof of concept where you just type like, okay, run proof of concept, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then you can see actually that an malicious administrator has been added to the site. And again, we, uh, the response was like, yeah, but this is like, I don't, I don't want to disclose all of this, but our response was very much the same that we got previously with the 2FA stuff. Yet it doesn't really matter because you can't exploit it by default. You need mm -hmm. another vulnerability to be able to get the secret. Um, and pretty much like the, the, the. How do you say the, the impression that we got was, yeah, look, we're, we're not going to fix this, or at least not in any urgent manner. Yeah. And um, they didn't. So 90 days passed, and then we publicly published it, the vulnerability. And um, yeah. So to, to add to that, they basically told us, yeah, hey, it doesn't matter because you have a vulnerability. 
But this case is a bit unique in that Malcare is a malware scanner, right? So, so bear with me here. The malware scanner's main usage, they also have some other functionality, but the, the main thing is that they are providing malware scanning. If you have malware on your site, that's by definition the only time you need a malware scanner. If your site can never ever be infected with malware, you like, don't need a malware scanner, right? Yep. That does make sense, correct? Yep. So also then add that to that. If you have malware on your site, by definition, it can read from your database. So what actually could have happened if some, or like if an attacker that's performing large-scale hacking of WordPress sites, what they could have done is they could have checked, hey, is this a malware site? If yes, we just extract the, the, the API token out of the database and send that off to our remote server to store it. Just for now, store it, and then they delete the malware. So they stole your secret key and deleted the malware. So there's no trace of a hack happening at all. Yeah. And what they then do after, for example, let's say there recently there were a lot of vulnerabilities in WordPress, like in many popular plugins, Elementor, WooCommerce, whatever. Instead of infecting your site and performing the malicious activity right away, they could have just sent off your, your malware secret key. And once all that uh, noise has ba basically um, watered down, they can reinfect your site continuously through that API key. And you will never be able to detect it because you don't have any um, vulnerable plugins anymore because it's not known. Yeah. And um, you have no malicious files also. There, there are no files. Your, your sites have not been modified. But the attacker can continuously um, reinfect your site. Because they have that secret and to your site, they are basically more care. Well, they can always install new administrators. They can always um, install malicious plugins, anything that, that more care can do from their side, basically. So them saying, yeah, it doesn't really matter that, that because you require a precondition. It doesn't make any sense in their specific case because their, the entire value of their product lies in the capability to effectively detect malware. And malware can always exploit this precondition because they can always read from your database. Does that make sense? Yes. I'm going to rewind again. Firstly, a um, couple of things. The first one is, did did Malcare in the end get a fix with you? Did, did did that did you manage to get to the point where this has now gone away? This is now fixed. So okay. the the timeline is um, we disclosed it with them. Ninety days passed. Then we disclosed it publicly, and. For obvious reasons, many people were very upset with them. And then I think within one or two days after us having disclosed it publicly, they published their fix. So okay. it's fixed now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there's that. The second thing is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I will be chatting with somebody from Malcare, um, and they can obviously put their side. So keep an eye out for any mention of the word Malcare in our episode titles, and you can you know hear hear that side of things as well, just for. Um, re responsible disclosure, I guess. I'm just letting you know that we're going to try and see both sides of this. Sure. Um, and also, I'm going to try and summarize what you've just said so that I'm clear that I know what's going on. So, uh, assuming that somebody has already uh, gained access through some other side, uh, some other channel, so an SQL injection or what have you, yes. you could then um, use the, you could read the the key. Um, which which the software puts in, which enables it to communicate with the the home base, if you like, you know, it, its SaaS right. version of the product. Correct. And because that SaaS version of the product 
um, by de by definition, because of the nature of that product, has all sorts of privileges. You know, creating users, deleting plugins, adding content. I guess I don't really know, um, but there's lots and lots of privileges. That, but the attacker could then just obliterate all trace of itself, Correct. and then just come back in a few weeks' time and be undetected by the malware detection because the malware detection is looking for thing. Uh, the signals might be, have any files changed? Is there anything here which we're not expecting? But there wouldn't be any of that. All there is is knowledge of that API key. Correct. Got it. Okay, right. This Great. is ex exactly the issue. Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, so, yeah, so this this then is a systemic thing in, in WordPress is... Is WordPress doing something badly? Is it that we, this, or is yes. it just the nature of CMSs? You can't really no. get around this. No, no, this is a WordPress thing. Like in their response to us, they mentioned this is seen as a standard practice in WordPress and also in other development ecosystems, which is, yes, that is the case in WordPress. That is a standard practice. But as we already mentioned, that, that doesn't make it any better. And in any other software ecosystem, yeah, be it like, Laravel or Symfony or whatever, if you were, were caught being storing like sensitive data as API, such as API tokens in plain text, there would be like a huge public outcry. Like this is absolutely not the standard way to do things mm. for the reasons that we mentioned. Mm. And it's also mm, to talk about basically how it all went down, their justifications for taking 90 days was that is, yeah, it's authentication related and you can't make these changes like fast because you have to test everything and whatever, which is true to a degree, but the, the fix is really not that complicated. We sent, we told them how to fix it. It's um, maybe in their fix that they shipped after 90 days is like, maybe I haven't counted, but 50 lines of code. So you could do that in a day, probably maybe a week if you want to test really thoroughly. And um, we also have to mention that um, this is was a pure accident. So we were troubleshooting an issue. A customer of us had with WP Umbrella product, which is like also, if, if you don't know, WP Umbrella is like product also a SaaS version that allows you to manage uh, many WordPress sites from a central dashboard. Yeah, similar to MailWP, uh, ManageWP. And they had the same conceptual issue. Their API token was also stored in plain text. With the same conceptual issue, obviously not the implementation was different, but conceptually it was the same thing. The API token they used to communicate was stored in plain text. We disclosed it with them. They took that very serious and they fixed it in like two days after us having contacted them. And it's, it's really not that complicated. It's a very simple fix, actually. So which is like, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't fix it in 90 days. It's, it, like, we can't really understand it. Is there anything that could be done on a... I don't really know where to pitch this, but is there anything that could be done on a sort of, I don't know, requirements for plugins. Now, I know that in many cases, these will be commercial plugins, so you might be downloading them directly from the vendor. But do you know if, for example, anything in the WordPress.org repo has to jump through hoops to prove that they're not doing these kind of things? I, I genuinely have no knowledge of how these kind of things are are scrutinized before they would get into the repo or whether there's any documentation around this kind of thing um, in the WordPress space. Right. I, I'm not like familiar with no. all the review processes, but I highly, highly doubt that there's anything checking for these like defense and debt security practices. But this is like why I'm excited about what you mentioned earlier that like patch tech in response to our um, research and our disclosures is now like in the process of setting up like a, a 
a different type of database or different type of category for these types of issues. So people actually know about these things. They can like find out about this, even if they're not like super technical. And this is ultimately, I think the only way that people are going to change. Like if it's, if it shows up on, on patch deck or WP scan as having like security neglects, yes, then people will change until then there's really no incentive for people because yeah, it doesn't look like they care based on, based on the mere facts that when this closed, they don't really like act in a way. This yeah. is why I'm very excited about what patch deck's doing there now. We, we're kind of. We're closing in on an hour. We were going to talk about um, the, the sort of layered approach that you could have to WordPress security. I think we should still do that. I was suggesting that maybe we'd have some more time for this, but I think we should just rip through that one quite quickly if we can so that we've got enough yes. time at the end to talk a little bit about uh, Fortress and what that is as well. So um, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to, but um, I might try to hot link to an image. I don't know if I'm allowed to publish it, but uh, in the shared show notes that we've got, we've got this um, sliced cheese, <laughs> basically. It's like this seven-layer, I think it is, um, model of how security can be layered, one on top of the other. Uh, sim not simple, but I guess the stack gets more yes. and more in-depth and more specific to WordPress as you go further down or up. If I can link to that image, yeah, I will. Can, if it, not, I'll hot link to it. Tell us about that. It's it's not from us either. It's from MindSize, a very respectable WordPress agency. Um. No, it's public post. You can definitely link. Okay. So yes, we now talked a lot about like what is wrong or basically something's going wrong in the WordPress security ecosystem. But from our point of view, like um, now I want to talk about what is actually what you could be doing or how you should be thinking about WordPress security. And it's all layers, layers, and more layers. <laughs> it's all yes. layers. Yeah. Every, every, everybody understands security when you tell them, hey, look, we're doing using this kind of software for this kind of thing they ask you okay but how are you protecting against this different thing and it's completely different and can't be handled in this software so it's all layering yeah and um mind size came up with a very great and easy to understand model which is like swiss cheese that has like a lot of holes in it yeah and if you stack on top like different um, blocks of swiss cheese yeah each of the blocks will have holes and uh, a hole in that sense would be like attacker being able to pass through that layer. Right. But then the way you stack your blocks of Swiss cheese is that overall there are no holes in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I'll explain that as well. So imagine that you've got um, seven squares of cheese. It's, uh, I love this. <laughs> you've it's got really seven, right, yeah. so It's great. Seven squares of cheese and Swiss cheese, if you've ever looked at it, it's completely random. There's holes in all sorts of different places. So if you had seven slices of Swiss cheese, each one of those slices would have a different conf uh, layer, uh, sorry, a different selection of holes spread across its surface. If you were to lay any two random slices together, some of those holes will collide. You might be able to stare through and poke your finger through because it just so happens that they've got two things which match. But if you put three or four together, what are the chances of you being able to poke your finger through? Because at some point, one of those layers will not have the hole at that exact point. So your finger will suddenly collide with that. Uh, uh, you, that should be enough. Go and look at the picture on the WP Builds website <laughs> to explain it better, but yeah. No, this is like, a, it's this, um, 
layering is like not a new concept, but they 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 put it like into a super yeah, it's really a digestible yeah, um, image, <laughs> literally <yeah>? digestible. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, talking through that, yeah, it starts off with um, physical security, which is something that is handled nowadays at at data center layer. Yeah, so no WordPress hosting company at least should have their own racks of servers in their basement anymore. Um, it's all handled maybe at AWS or Google Cloud or whatever. And they make sure that like nobody can go to your server and plug in like a USB stick, if you will. Yeah. This is physical security, mm. which is something that you don't have to worry about. This is your, it's not even handled by your hosting company. It's handled by the infrastructure provider that your hosting company yeah. is most likely yeah, using. Yeah. Then you have um, network security, which is, um, think Cloudflare or other CDN type of products are in front of your server. Yes. So um, I'd say let's walk through each layer briefly and then we can say like what should be done at each layer and what shouldn't be done at each yeah, layer. Yeah, sounds good. So you have um, the network security, which is like your Cloudflare or, or CDN type of stuff, which can handle certain aspects before they, your server is even being hit by the request. Then you have server level security, think like stuff that your hosting company handles, maybe malware scanning or mm, stuff like fail to ban that is installed on your, on your server or firewall specifically on your server. The other part is file system security, which is also like similar to malware scanning. So you could, for example, secure, ensure that your files on your on your server, I have not been tampered with. And even this is really advanced, but you can actually make, and we don't have to touch on it briefly. You can actually make your file system immutable by design it means that it can never be changed. And if you want to deploy a new version or make a new update of your WordPress site, you just, um, basically whip all of the files and then install a set of new files. Got it. But right. nobody can uh, in production change your WordPress site, which pretty much eliminates most of the issues regarding model. Because if the files can't be changed, you can't install malware. Interesting. And the next part is like application and user security. I would actually put these two things like together. Think about stuff that you can do inside of WordPress. So we now have network layer before your server. You then have the server layer, which is before um, WordPress is being um, run. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then inside of WordPress on application or user layer, there are also some things that you can do from a secure perspective. And the last one is uh, backup and recovery, which is something that is not talked much, um, not talked enough about, which is imagine the worst case you're hacked and you don't have backups. What do you do? Oh, yeah. And you're really, you're really <laughs> <Yeah>. screwed. <laughs> if somebody's then, managed to get their finger down the first six layers or seven layers, gets to your backup layer. Oh, pray, and, and, pray and this, that you've got something there. <laughs> yeah. and, and this is probably going to be one of the next research topics we will be doing is like the security of backups. Do you know because... what? I was just wondering about that because given yes. everything that you've just yes. described, the ability to erase backups, just that's got to be next on the list, yeah. doesn't if, it? <laughs> imagine, imagine you're hacked and you're using like your only source of backups is a backup plugin. Yeah. Yeah. And we haven't checked, but maybe the backup plugin allows to delete your backups. Yeah. Like what do you do if you get hacked and the attacker is really, really mean? And also deletes all your backups. I think many of them do actually, um, yeah, because quite do. a few of them allow for 
because it's easy, yeah. Storage it's convenient. Of, yeah. So, well, yeah. So I, I want to push, I don't know, a backup to Google Drive or something like that, but I only want to keep 14 versions. Yes. Well, the, the principle there must be that I can delete version 15 if I want to Correct. insert version yeah. one. Uh, yeah. Uh, interesting. So there is a lot to think about there, isn't there? In, in, in WordPress, typically, what many WordPress plugins are doing, they are trying to protect against all of these layers in one solution. So you have plugins, for example, that do like stuff like banning countries by IP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That allow you to configure, hey, I don't want anybody from like halfway across the world to visit my site. Okay. It might work, but it would work like orders of magnitude better at, for example, um, not Cloudways, I'm sorry. It's Cloudflare. Uh, Cloudflare, right. So before it even hits your server, yeah, you can ban IPs and countries in Cloudflare. You don't need to do it in your WordPress plugin. This is one example. The other one, which um, was all of research piece, is that malware scanning from inside a plugin does fundamentally not work. And um, we don't have to touch about that. Uh, we can link it in the show notes, but I think you also covered it on previous like episodes. Um, it doesn't work. So malware scanning is something in this model is on the server layer. So you can't do stuff that should belong in the server layer securely at the layer that is below that. Does that make sense? Is it? Yeah. Is it fair to say there that it 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 can work, but it can't be relied upon to work? Correct. It is like an example. It's like if um, and we published stats about how often this is compromised as well. Um, from we watch your website with whom we partnered on this research, they have like huge amounts of stats on this because they monitor a lot of WordPress sites and servers. And uh, for popular plugins like WordFence, that is plugin-based uh, scanner, it was like 15% of times when you're hacked and have WordPress installed, WordFence is uh, tempered in a way that WordFence can't detect, uh, um, detect the malware anymore. So, so we're just like, in another way, it's like asking, like, can you rely on a clock that 15% of the time tells you something completely wrong? Can you right. rely on that? So yeah. the principle here being that if if it's running, I, I, I feel I'm going to stray into areas where my my level of expertise is not enough to explain it. But is it something like this? If it's using, uh, let's say, uh, the PHP, which is what WordPress is using, if the Correct. malware is on the same layer as that, Correct. and it's also using PHP, what's to stop the malware interrupting whatever it is that the the malware scanner or the security plugin is doing it, it it's conceivable that you could have something which is getting in the way of uh, a wordpress security plugin and just saying actually we're just going to disable this functionality without you knowing right. it yeah right correct right. and how, how they typically do it is they whitelist themselves because right. many of these plugins have like um, an option to whitelist specific files which is like something that should never exist in the first place but um yeah so they then just whitelist themselves, and then uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't it's not detected anymore. Mm. But uh, let's not dive into it too deeply. Like we have like an entire series on that. It's called Malware Madness. We published it with um, We Watch Your Website, Grid Pain, and Patchstack, and we link to it in the show notes. It's like super we will, yeah. understandable as well. So th- this is pretty much covered. And then the la- the last layer that we have here is the user security, which is like stuff like making sure that you have strong passwords, making sure that your mm, limiting brute force attacks, making sure that you um, have two-factor authentication, making sure that you have um, secure sessions and all of these things. And the important part here is that this can only be done at the WordPress layer. So for example, you can't really implement two-factor authentication 
in a server level functionality because you need access to WordPress, you need access to the WordPress user database. So this can only run in PHP. If you think about it, um, in the Swiss cheese model, yeah, a block of cheese that is like below another one cannot effectively implement stuff that should be done at the higher layer. Right. It can be done, but not effectively and sometimes conceptually it's impossible. In the other direction, yeah, it is possible, but not for all things. So you can do malware scanning at the server layer. You can also do it at the plugin layer. But for example, you can't do two-factor authentication in um, in a server level or right, in, right. in Cloudflare. Yeah, you yeah, can't have yeah. two-factor authentication in Cloudflare. Right, it doesn't work. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, on, honestly, this image is really good. And if you actually spend a moment or two looking at it and thinking about it, especially the direction of travel starts at the top with um, the, the physical security and then it works right down to the to the back WordPressy stuff and the backup and recovery right at the bottom. When you actually start to think about it like that, as this almost not quite, but mostly a one-way street down, then um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and you get an understanding of what's possible and what's not possible. That's fascinating. Yeah, really interesting. And and, and obviously, this is a complex topic which a lot of um, end users and WordPress will not be able to implement themselves, which is also. Like the second big problem that we see in WordPress security is that many security products are really built for the lowest common denominator of hosting platforms. So many security plugins try, or security products for many, they try to be as broadly compatible as possible. Yeah, because that's like the biggest market share. So they, they try to be able to run it on $1 shared hosting. They try to be able to run it on PHP 5.7. Sorry, 5.6, 5.7 doesn't exist. Um, th- this is a problem because you can make these compromises in, let's say, normal, in quotes, plugins. Yes. If you do it in a security product, inevitably you will have to make compromises somewhere because you're catering to the lowest common denominator. You have to make compromises somewhere that then directly decreases security but by a huge amount. It's like, it's not like linear at all. That mm. makes sense. So, and the way we saw that is, for example, in the two of a stuff. Why did all the like, why did all products store stuff in plain text? Because while well, proper encryption in PHP is only available after um, version seven point two, I think. Right. Oh, interesting. And, okay. And, okay. And, uh, it's it's possible, but it's not that straightforward. And of another example. Why is everything stored in the database? Because, well, the database is the lowest common denominator. The database is always there. This is not possible to have a WordPress site without a database, is it? So this is like where then these small decisions that, that don't seem like they are matter, yeah? They turn out to be huge um, like um, reliabilities in terms of security. Mm. And then, yeah, you, you also have the many companies that I, I call it like portfolio security. What they do is they, the, this, the sort process is like, I don't know, there are probably hundreds of security products in WordPress and I don't want to name like specific names, but the sort process is something like, well, we already do forms and we have a page builder and we do some com- e-commerce and security would be a nice fit. Yeah. It's, that would increase our market share. And the thinking is like, yeah, every, every developer can create a security product, but there's very, very small percentage of developers that can create a secure security product. Does that make sense? You yeah. can't just you can't just go from being 
developer to being a developer of a security pro product. It just doesn't work that way. It requires a you, certain you need, background you need, and expertise. Yeah, you need, yeah. or at least you need like in-house information security experience that can then guide your developers or at least review what they are doing. You can't just like, you can't just decide one day, yeah, hey, we have like these three different products, like today we're going to do security. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. Okay, I feel we've covered a lot of ground there, um, but I do want to give you an opportunity right at the end to to talk about something called Fortress. I think you may have dropped that word in somewhere, but I don't think yes. in any way that would have made it clear what Fortress is. Um, tell, tell us about Fortress, who it's available to right now, what the roadmap is, all of that. Correct. So Fortress is a security suite that we sell primarily to WordPress hosting company, and now it's great that we covered like the Swiss cheese model yeah before fortress only does stuff that you can do best the application slash user security layer and because we primarily sell to hosting companies this is um, like a great fit because hosting companies themselves can't by definition implement anything at the WordPress layer so um, we only focus on application slash user security, which means stuff like two-factor authentication, sessions, password security, rate limiting, all of these things that you can do best and only at this layer in the model. And we do it for two reasons. First of all, um, imagine you, and this is what happens a lot if you have like install like an all-in-one security plugin or product, you get like conflicts because the hosting that you're using might already be doing some some of these things. So they might already have like a firewall. Many actually do. And your plugin is another firewall. And then you need to manage um, exclusions in two different places, for example. So at best, it causes feature duplication and then degraded performance. And at worst, this causes conflicts. And the way we built this, it's not a plugin. It's, uh, if you will imagine it like, it's 90% um, um, a PHP application. And then you have 5% on top of it is like a WordPress layer so that it can run in WordPress. And the remaining 5% is an integration that we built with each hosting company so that it's deeply tailored to their hosting stack. Every hosting company is running something different. Some have a firewall. Some are based on, are running in containerized environments with Docker. Some are using Nginx. Some are using Apache. So each of these companies get like a different integration layer, um, which then greatly, greatly redu reduces the security that can be provided because like we mentioned before, we don't have to make like assumptions that cater to the lowest common denominator in all these critical decision areas. So we know, hey, right now we're running at hosting company A. So we do things like this because this is what works best at their hosting. And for other hosting companies, at hosting company B, we know what works best for them, but we don't have to cater to the intersection between hosting company A and B. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I I'm just wondering, do you have intellectual property around the franchise of this? So in other words, is it called Fortress wherever you go, or do you just sort of silently go into the background and you're, I don't know, some sort of toggle which you can switch on, but nobody might necessarily know it's, it's what yeah, your company it's have done? It, it, it is, um, it depends on, on deals with Simon's hosting companies. Okay. It, it is completely white label. 
so you, you know, can see we completely white label it if if you have a license for that. Yes. Yeah, and I know you've struck a deal with um, is it Gridpane, I believe. Correct. Correct. And so Gridpane are they're, they're well they're they're in the WordPress hosting space specifically, but you've bolted on Fortress into correct. Gridpane, or is it that you can get it enabled? How does it work? So yes, as, at the point of recording this, Gridpane is our first major hosting customer. And um, if you're a customer of Gridpane, um, you can install, so Gridpane sells Fortress as an add-on to their services. Yeah. And then they have like a pre-built integration where you can simply like switch a toggle and it's configured and installed perfectly for um, Gridpane's environment, their hosting environment, which is like, um, yeah, you get like all the security benefits, but you also don't have to do any of the integration work as an end customer. Yeah, it's all handled for them and Gridpane knows best how their environment works. And you don't have to make the guesses about how to configure a security product for a hosting stack that you probably have no like idea how it all it works in detail. Yeah. A couple of f follow-up questions quickly because we are we're stretching the amount of time here, I think. But um quick quick couple of questions. The first one is are you are you open to hosting companies um, outside of Gridpane? Are you hoping to yes, you know, yes, onboard so we, some? We are, we are talking with uh, several hosting companies. Okay, as so we speak. if you are listening to this and you happen to work for a hosting company, uh, Calvin's email is open. Um, but also, if you're let's say you're working for a big agency, and although you may not be handling, um, you're not a hosting company, you may have a sizable clout with that hosting company. Is there any? Is there any mileage there? Are you looking for agencies? Because it feels like that's the level you're on. You, you know, you're not after end users like mom and pop building their WordPress site, but what perhaps a large agency yes. who has clout with a hosting company might be able to work with you. I don't know. Yeah. Like you mentioned, our primary target is um, hosting companies because we think that is the, the best, the, the most user-friendly and also the most secure way to give access to many people to Fortress. But um, we also send limited amount to agencies directly. Uh, it, it just depends on, on the use case. Yeah, if the agency, for example, should at least have like one in-house developer to be able to get that all up and running. It's not that complicated, but yeah, like you said, we're, we're not looking to sell like um, directly to a large, large market of end users. Yeah. It, it just doesn't, it's, it doesn't make sense. It, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah it's, you, from everything you've described, it makes perfect sense. And then last thing, you've got a you've got a an outreach newsletter where people can find um, updates about all of the different things Correct. that you're doing, new research and WP security topics being covered there. What's the uh, what's the URL for that? You can go to snicko.io/slash wpbuilds, and then you can sign up for our newsletter there. We yeah. So if you're not a customer of WordPen right now, and if you're not a big agency, the best thing you can really do is. Um, well, ask your hosting company to add an integration with Fortress. This is um, if if several people do that, they they, can, they are considering it. Nice. Um, and yeah, also to stay uh, in the loop, like we publish a lot of previews or from our re because the research piece that we write they take like months. It's not like that is done in uh, in a day. Yeah, but we regularly send like preview snippets or or updates basically to to our newsletter. And uh, yeah, if you want to stay in the loop, that's that's a good way to to do that. Perfect. Thank you, Calvin Alken. Really appreciate you chatting to us today. As I said, there'll be follow up episodes which um, hold hold a different side of the argument, but keep an eye out for those. But certainly, really. 
fascinating episode. Calvin, thank you so much for joining thanks us so today. Much for, thanks so much for showing me. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that. Very nice chatting today with Calvin Alken from Sneeko. As I said at the top of the show, there will be three more episodes in this series put out in a random order. Look out for episodes from Aksha Chowdhury from Malcare, Dan Knaus from iThemes, now Solid WP, and Thomas J. Reef from We Watch Your Website. Hopefully, over the course of those four episodes, Calvin's episode today included, you'll get some balance, some perspective, and you can make up your own mind based upon what all four of those people have said. I hope that you appreciate the fact that I'm doing it this way. I'm trying not to step into any potential problem and trying to make it so that everybody gets their say in a fair and equanimous way. The WP Builds podcast is brought to you today by GoDaddy Pro. GoDaddy Pro, the home of managed WordPress hosting that includes free domain, SSL and 24-7 support. Bundle that with the Hub by GoDaddy Pro to unlock more free benefits to manage multiple sites in one place, invoice clients, and get 30% off new purchases. You can find out more by heading to go.me forward slash WP builds. And again, sincere thanks to GoDaddy Pro for their support of the WP Builds podcast. Like I said at the top of the show, if you fancy making a comment, it would be really nice if you felt like heading over to the episode on WPBuilds.com Search in the top right-hand corner for episode 338 and leave us a comment there. We'd really appreciate that. We'll be back on Monday for This Week in WordPress, our live show. Join us 2 p.m. UK time, wpbuilds.com forward slash live, and we'll have another episode for you. It'll be David Wormsley and I having a chat next Thursday. Until then, I'm going to fade in some cheesy music. Wish that you stay safe and say bye-bye for now.